This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, Dr. Roosh asks the question, what is love? The most important factor in answering that question is identity, there being a sacred worth in you without any labels. Let's join Dr. Nate Roosh right now to learn more. We're starting a brand new series, and that series is called What is Love? We are in a confused generation when it comes to the word love. Uh, You know it to be true, isn't it? It's almost as if people are are getting batted around with different ideas of what love is, like a a ball on Pong in old school Atari. It's just going all over the place, and what is up and down and left and right, and identity and sexual preferences, politics, education, are using it to shift mindsets and and win votes, and then we've got parents that are being told that they're to, to love their kids a certain way and they're to let them do what they feel like doing, and we've got five-year-olds telling their parents who they are based on nothing more than their feelings. It's a scary world out there. And here's the deal. In this day and age, what do we do about it? And as you've come to church today, you're like, what does the church have to do with the word love? The challenge for us is to answer the right question. It's just a few years ago, uh, back in the day, some of you don't know this, but I was a youth pastor at Emmanuel for 10 years. Then I worked at North Central University, downtown Minneapolis for 10. During those 10 years, Jody and I attended. I wasn't on staff at the church. And we used to have a thing on Sunday nights. Uh, it was just Sunday night church. But on Sunday nights back in the day, it was a, kind of a revival service and just going after God. And what we did on those Sunday nights back in the day is we'd show up and the kids were in the service And then after worship, they would be dismissed to go to kids' church upstairs, and they would do something different for them. And I remember we came in a little bit late, and we came in on a Sunday night, and we had our two oldest sons with us. They were in elementary school at the time. As we're singing and worshiping, um, it it was like some, like, intimate song, like, your love is extravagant, just this old-school worship thing. All these adults in the room were like, their hands are in the air, and so we're worshiping. I'm on the end of the row, and, and I've got sons next to me, and Jody's in the row with me, and I didn't know this, but there was a different conversation going on between my sons and Jody while we were worshiping. They kept asking questions, and, and uh, finally, Jody tells one of my sons, stop asking me questions. Just sit down, write it out, and I'll answer it later. So he pulls out one of those offering envelopes from the row ahead of him, and, and he starts writing a question. Well, pretty soon I get this tap on the shoulder from Jody, and she said, look at that. And I looked down, and on there he had written, what's sex? And then I look over at Jody, and she says, you need to talk to him. <laughs> so my hands go back up. I start speaking in tongues, and I'm going, Lord, help me today, please, right? And so a little bit later, as I've been interceding with the Lord and trying to come up with my prep for something, here I am, this former youth pastor, teach adolescent psychology, counseling at the university and stuff, but I got to talk to my kid about this question. Then I looked down, and he actually had completed his question. It said, what's extravagant? And I was preparing to answer a question he wasn't asking. Well, as we talk about what is love this month, my hope is is that we'll actually talk about some things that people are actually asking and that we'll actually drive ourselves to the point where what the Word of God has to show us 
that will make a difference for our life, to not answer questions that no one's asking. And when it comes to what we're doing in this confused generation, think about this. Young adults that I get to watch and see is they've grown up in an era where the moral values and relationship rules and what it means to do with your body is okay and not, it's kind of been blown to smithereens. People can do whatever they want to do, and people are confused. They don't know who to date. They don't know what's okay to do with their bodies. and Who really knows what's right or wrong? It's as if the olden days are gone, and people are hooking up with no relational commitment, no marriage boundaries. No one is helping because everyone is doing what everyone feels like doing. But friends, I want you to know you are more than just your feelings. Because feelings change. I know they're real, but if you're following your feelings, you're gonna be in trouble. And it can really be confusing as people attempt to build friendships, build their future when they don't know who to listen to. I remember reading about a story of a 65-year-old grandfather who was having a conversation on his front porch in the rocking chair with his 17-year-old grandson. And as they're talking, the, the grandson said, hey, Grandpa, back in your day, What did you use for protection? As if he's out of style, and the grandpa just held up his ring finger. He said, this is what I use for my protection. And he was talking about his commitment in marriage, and it was secure and solid, right? Well, somewhere along the way, that's been lost. It's as if generations have lost that sense of value of what that really means. Now it's being changed and the definitions of marriage and those kind of things have been changed in our culture and people are wondering, what do we do about it? So what is love? Is it what the older generation says? Is it what the schools say? Is it what your friends say? And in this series, we're gonna look at some of the questions people are asking about love, the Bible, sexuality, and truth. We won't answer everyone's questions, but we will consider what the Father in heaven may be saying to us. Now here's the deal, if you got teenagers, they're already learning about this stuff from other sources. They're on TikTok, they're on Snapchat, they're on YouTube, and they're talking to each other, and they're getting information whether you know it or not. It's about time that you gave them some good information. Problem is, this is the first generation of youth who don't need adults to get their information. That's why we need to engage in the next generation. All right, so I wanna dive right into this, and I want to just start today with one thought. This one thought is actually pivotal. The most important factor in answering the question, what is love, is identity. Why don't you turn with me to Genesis chapter one. In Genesis chapter one, it's the story of creation, it's the story of God beginning things, it's really our story, your story and my story, and where we come from. And Genesis chapter one, starting with verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, theologians throughout history and worldwide, they have a term for that. It's the imago Dei, which means the image of God, that we are created by God. And we are created to be like God. We're created, he's the the model, if you will. And so he created male and female. Right from the very beginning, we know where that comes from. That's from God. And the Imago Dei means that our identity comes from him. 
I love what Thomas Merton says. He says, to say that I am made in the image of God is to say that love is the reason for my existence, for God is love. So if we're going to talk about what is love, we need to go right back to the creator. We need to go right back to the one that was the designer, the inventor, if you will. We need to go back to the one that has a, a, a manual for how to run the thing. If you want to know what love is, you want to understand the origins or what is right or wrong, then let's go back to the one that put it all together again. And the challenges for our culture is, is that we've got identity theft. We've forgotten where our identity comes from, and we're chasing it in so many other places. And I just want to say, we need to go right back to the creator. He knows what's best. People are in search for meaning and acceptance and love and belonging and we tend to identify with any group that gives us a sense of belonging. And that becomes our group. How many women are in here right now? Just raise your hand. You're part of the woman group, right? But you might have smaller groups of, of affinity, people that are a part of your decade of age, or people that like the same things you do. We all do this in different ways. We have people and groups of people that we identify with. It could be through sports and our sports teams or our politics and people identify with a different political party or, or sexuality or Enneagram numbers. Anybody heard of the Enneagram numbers? People are trying to put a number on people. And by the way, when they do that, there are some numbers that, uh, that aren't as favorable as other numbers. And, and my wife, she wants to say I'm a certain number. And I say, I don't even want to take the test. Don't tell me what number I am. She says, that proves you are this number. <laughs> so like even we categorize other people too. It's not just categorizing ourselves. We tend to put people groups and, and we look at skin color differences. We look at language differences and we look at financial and economic differences and geographical differences. We separate groups of people into different categories. And if we're getting our identity from anyone other than God, we, we have lost our identity. We begin to follow what somebody else says about us whatever they're saying about us, our reputation, and it becomes our label. I don't know what your labels are, but many of our labels don't come from God. They come from some other source. They, they come from a label created by somebody in Hollywood or somebody created in some college university or somebody that's on social media, and they created a label, and it's kind of put on our head, and other people see that label. Sometimes we repeat it to ourselves, and the temptation is to make one part of us all of us. So I got a label, then that means every part of my life is that one thing. But friends, it would be like identifying an incredibly complex gourmet dish by just one ingredient. You're more complex than that one label that's on your head. And we can use statements like, well, I'm a runner, or I'm a workaholic, or I'm a three, or I'm an engineer, or I'm a Vikings fan. But whatever the I am statement, I'm a, I'm a retiree, I'm a high school student, I'm a rapper, I'm a vegetarian. How many know if I said that, that would be an absolute lie? <laughs> whatever those labels are, then we have to perform to keep the label. It's like we gotta run to, to please other people, to keep our reputation, to make sure everybody else thinks we're okay about that thing, and we still justify the label over our life. And we wanna keep that performance going, and we do whatever it takes to keep people 
for our belonging. And when God isn't a part of your story and it's coming from somewhere else, you will depend on yourself, and that's a terrible place to be. Christopher Yuan, in a book that I would highly suggest you guys buy and if you have the time to read it, it's called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. Listen to what he says. And why not? Without any intrinsic value or objective meaning in life, the individual must reevaluate existence and courageously live according to his or her own desires. If there's no God, there's no essence. An identity must be created by each person. We got people that are just making it up. We got five-year-olds making it up, and they don't even know yet who they are. And, and our culture is saying, just let them be whatever they want to be. But friends, how many of your feelings changed during the week this week? You go all over the place. You don't want to follow your feelings. They change, like the weather. We need to have something else to turn to, and we need God in our story. Can I get an amen to that? Without God, we take our feelings and label ourselves by the feeling. And without God, some people accept the labels from others and what they have said about you. But when the Imago Dei, the God image, is a part of your story, God is in your story. And the Imago Dei means there is sacred worth in each person without the label. There is sacred worth to every person that was ever born on the planet. Every person that is in the womb has sacred image planted. This is why God cares so deeply about kids in the womb. It hurts God's heart when we abort babies. Now, I believe that God can restore parents that did that in their past, and he can restore your joy of your salvation. So I don't want you to hear hatred from me. But in this nation, God hurts every time an image of his is aborted. It's wrong, it's simply destroying God's creation. And every one of them matters. And every person is a sacred worth in them. You matter, you're special. I don't know what your background is, I don't know where you, how you grew up or what other people said to you. I don't know if you felt like you've got this label that you've carried with you and it's like baggage on your shoulders that is too heavy to, and it weighs you down. And some people, when they stop, uh, they get so weary carrying around the labels and trying to keep things going, they just give up and they quit and they do stupid things. And when you lose your identity, sometimes you do really stupid things, stupid things with your body, stupid things with your relationships, stupid things, you, hatred and other things come out of you and you become something that God never intended you to become and you have missed the image of God. And you might be feeling that way and I want you to know, even though you're whatever decade of your life and you've already gone through stuff and you've maybe felt like you scarred the image of God on your story, there is still sacred worth to you from God's perspective. You are special. You matter to him. He made you and he likes you. He smiles when he sees his kids and he does not abandon them. Can I get an amen to that? Psalm 139. Listen to how the psalmist talks about God's perspective of us from the very beginning. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts 
about me, oh God. Did you know God thinks about you? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. He's a bad man. He smiles on you. He doesn't give up on you. He's interested in you. And though the culture around you or the things that you've done that you're ashamed of may feel like it's marred the image of God, God can see beyond the labels, beyond the stupid stuff. He moves beyond the sin itself, and he sees his child. So much so that he wants to come and help us. And the good news is that Jesus comes to restore sacred worth. He restores it. It's like he takes something that's not working, it's broken, it's corrupt, and somehow he restores it to its original status. And only the creator can bring us back to who he created us to be. Before sin, before the labels, he was there. But he's also there after the label and after the confusion and after the mistakes. The Apostle Paul was a guy that wrote to many different churches in the New Testament. One of them that he wrote actually two letters to that we know of, First and Second Corinthians, was to a city called Corinth. Corinth was a confused, sexualized culture. They had a lot of issues. People sleeping, family members sleeping together, people doing stuff, all kinds of stuff. If there was a website that was available back in the day, anybody and everybody could go find what they wanted. It was a lot like modern-day America now. And the access was to it. And so much so that people didn't think there was anything wrong with what they were doing. So Paul was trying to address how to be holy, how to be intact, and have the love of God in the middle of a sexualized culture. And look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Think label. And at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. In other words, Paul is saying, even if you've grown up in it, I won't ask for a show of hands of how many of us grew up in dysfunction. Let me just be honest. Kids nowadays, it's not everybody has the mom and a dad that were super Christians and lovey-dovey and super discipled their whole life. How many know many of us grow up in a completely opposite environment? You lived with your cousins and your aunts and you lived with other people and sometimes there's abuse going on from family members and other things were going on. It was corrupt and you're just living from place to place to place and maybe one thing was told you'd be true but you saw a different model in the adults in your, ahead of you and it's just confusing. You are much like the people in Corinth and Paul would say to you just like he said to the people in Corinth, listen. You look around you and you can see from a human point of view that nobody's happy, everybody's got labels, and nobody's getting better. Everybody's pointing the finger at somebody else in a kind of a call-out culture where everybody's angry with somebody else and you're supposed to love and you're supposed to accept and all of that. All those things are gone. And I want you to know, in the middle of it, if you follow Jesus, the Imago Dei in you, you'll discover that there's a new story that can be written in your life. 
Out of all the chaos around you and all the chaos behind you, you can discover that God will create a new story. Old things will be gone and new things will begin. Through the word of God, you have an opportunity for a new story, a new identity to be written in your life. Can I get an amen to that, church? So I want you to, I want you to see this through the eyes of Jesus today. But I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15 with me, and I want you to see the story that Jesus told to a group of people around him. And uh, it's the story of the lost son. Some people call it the prodigal son. But Jesus is a master storyteller because he wanted his audience to see themselves in the story. Now, the primary purpose of the overall story was as he was addressing some of the religious leaders at that time who would identify with the older brother in the story. I want you to see the heart of the father. If there's one thing that's been attacked in our culture is what is a father? And I want you to know if you don't have a perspective on a father, maybe you didn't have one, never knew one. Maybe the one you had left you. Maybe the one you had was a bad representation of a good father. But it doesn't negate the fact that God is a good father and Jesus is gonna show what a good father does. And that good father is going to do the same thing for us and for the people around us. So Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. He's a storyteller. A man had two sons and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Kind of arrogant. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth among and between his sons. A few days later, th this younger son packed all his belongings and moved away to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. Credit card reached its limit. And a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, this is great language, Jesus is telling a story. This guy had to get to this spot where he would wake up and get woke, right? He came to his senses he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and is now what? Returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. 
I want you to consider this story in the middle of the context of the, what we are talking about today. What is love? There's a lot of different definitions and a lot of different feelings and a lot of different kind of pressures that we feel when it comes to love. Some people have felt pressured. If you love me, you'll do this. You've been told that by other voices than God's voice. And I want you to know in the middle of this, don't automatically assume that God is going to use you. Actually, in this story, we begin to see that God the Father has the Son's best interest in mind. You and I are children of a father. And he's telling the story, Jesus is, because he wants us to see the Father. He's very clearly connecting God the Father to the person in the story. This Father lets the Son go. He doesn't control us. He doesn't manipulate us. He doesn't come and make us be something. Did you know that God is not a killjoy? He does have his law and he has a better way and it's a narrow road and some other people don't do it. But he doesn't make you do it. You're like, well, my parents did. But God the Father, some, how, many, how many of you that are adults right now, your parents tried to make you do stuff and as soon as you got out, you went away from that? You, you went through a, a period of rebellion and pushing back? How many know it cost you? Right? So we're no different than this son in the story, but the father allows him to go. And listen, as he allows them to go, this is a picture of the father in this generation. He celebrated when the son came home. He didn't chastise him, he didn't go, I told you so. He didn't say, hey, you gotta stick around for a while and then maybe you'll earn your way back in. He welcomed him home and celebrate, killed the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger, and then a robe around him. He became a full-fledged son again, not a part-time half-son. He was fully accepted back in. And to go home is the story of the prodigal son. It's a picture of a father who is there waiting. He didn't just go back to a house and the father was gone. When he came back, the father was there. And the father was looking to him and believed in him and was waiting for him. And he is home for the undeserving, the independent, the wasteful, the confused, the worried, the tired, and the angry. To find love is to be home. To find love is to be home. I'll say it again. To find love is to be home with the perfect father love of God. That's what love is. First John 4, 8, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.